LinkedIn News. From the news team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel, and this is Hello Monday. What does it mean to be middle-aged? It was a term that had a more concise definition back when I was a kid. Our milestones were more clear-cut. There was one acceptable timeline, one way of navigating a career, one gender that was afforded the luxury of declaring a crisis publicly when it all fell apart. Men turned 40, had a midlife crisis, and bought that red sports car. That's no longer how it is. We finally realized that all sorts of people experience midlife. Those people are living longer. They're falling off the proverbial career ladders earlier. They're hitting those milestones at very different times. There are sociologists that will say today's version of midlife stretches from 35 to 75. Now me, I'm just about in the middle of that spread. I'm 48. It's the first thing I told our guest today, and he got this wistful smile as he leaned into the mic. Ooh, the bottom of the U-curve of happiness. (laughs) That's Chip Conley. Today we're talking about Chip's new book, Learning to Love Midlife, 12 Reasons Life Gets Better with Age. So does it get better with age? We'll get into it after the break. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. I've known of Chip Conley forever. For much of his early career, Chip founded and ran a boutique hotel company, Joie de Vivre. He was already 52 when he moved into his next industry, joining Airbnb, and he knew almost nothing about tech. He joined to mentor the founders and became head of global hospitality and strategy. But I'm most interested in what happened after that. Chip founded the Modern Elder Academy, a school devoted to midlife wisdom. Think of it as a midlife pit stop for people who need to refocus and weather a transition. His book, the book we'll talk about today, It's a reflection of this work. In our conversation, Chip will share some of his personal journey through midlife. We'll talk about how to recognize the specific experiences of midlife. Chip will explain developmentally what drives us as we make transitions at this time. And he'll encourage us to identify our wisdom and apply it to new areas. Here's Chip. There's a lot more chaos in the world. We had the tyranny of the three-stage life previously. You learned till you were 20 or 25. You earned till you were 60 or 65. And then you burned. <laughs> you died. <laughs> you, you know, you retired. Adjourned, maybe. That's even better. And the reality is that we now live in an era in which we're going to go through a lot more changes because of sometimes collective changes that are happening out there in the world, mm-hmm. but sometimes our personal choices. I mean, 50 years ago, the average number of jobs a person had in their life was three. Um, today, it's 12 or 13. So that's just one example of many about how many more transitions we have, which also opens up the possibility of saying, if I'm going through a transition, I'm going to take a, a gap year at age 35, or I'm going to go back and get a uh, master's at age 50. 
um, or I'm going to have kids later, which is very true. People are having kids later than they used to. So for all these reasons, it is a little more of a scramble is how do we help give people a master's in transitional intelligence, TQ, mm. not IQ, not EQ, but TQ, because we we need that today. Right. Having spent a little time with your book, you go through so many ways in which we orient ourselves to the middle of our lives. But stepping back, it felt like what you might have been communicating was the world is changing. We all have the possibility that we will live longer, healthier lives, but we won't really be able to experience those lives until we also can change. And what that means is that we grow adept at, even comfortable with the idea of letting go of aspects of who we thought we were in order to embrace different ways of being or new ways that we are. Well, you've read the book. (laughs) That's exactly what the book's about. Um, I also make a distinction in the book between change and transition. Now, I, I will use the words interchangeably, but for the sake of setting up a framework for thinking about this, when you're going through a change, it's usually circumstantial um, and situational. And it could be, I don't like my wife or my husband anymore, or I don't like my boss or my job. And so the change that you're making is almost on the landscape. Mm -hmm. It's like you're changing what's out there in the world. And a lot of people make change that way. And then they wonder two years later why they're complaining about their new boss or their new spouse, (laughs) because they actually didn't learn anything along the way. And wisdom is really about taking your painful life lessons and making them the raw material for your future wisdom, which means you wear a different pair of glasses. And transition is that different pair of glasses. It's not circumstantial or situational. It is literally psychological or even spiritual. Something has changed inside of you you have become a new person, or you've evolved into a new person with a new pair of glasses, and therefore you don't make the same mistakes twice very often. And I think this is where midlife becomes really relevant for people, because by midlife, let's say 45, 55, something like that, you can see your patterns. You can see like, oh my God, I just did the same thing over again. Um, And it is that pattern recognition which leads to wisdom and leads to intuitive gut feeling for things that will help you make better decisions. Um, So we can't stop change. And in fact, it is accelerating, you know, for all kinds of reasons beyond our control. So what we have to do is look at how do we adapt to it and how do we learn from it such that, you know, as you get older, you actually feel more comfortable with being able to metabolize that change. Yeah. Which sounds strange because you sort of think of the cranky 75-year-old uncle who's grumpy and cantankerous and doesn't want anything to change. And those people exist in in spades for sure. But what the U-curve of happiness research shows, the social science research shows that generally speaking, after a low point around 45 to 50s, from age 50 on, people's level of life satisfaction grows with each decade. So it gets better and better. There's a lot of reasons for that, which we can dive into if you want. But one of the reasons for that is you're able to take change in stride. You don't sweat the small stuff as much as you did when you were younger. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's true, or at least I hope that that turns out to be more true as I travel through my 40s. Let's talk about these 40s a second. Um, Mm. It is a rough decade. I experience it as a rough decade. Mm. You experienced it as a rough decade. Yes. So tell me a little bit, Chip, about your 40s. 
Yeah. So for those who don't know my my background, I was a boutique hotelier that I started a, a company at age 26 called Joie de Vivre, uh, means joy of life in French, and created 52 boutique hotels around California, each with its own brand and name. So at low end, high end, et cetera. And long story short is I loved it till I hated it. In my late 40s, everything that could go wrong went wrong. And that's everything from the fact that I had a long-term relationship ending not by my choice. I had my African-American foster son, who was an adult, going to, to prison wrongfully. Um, I had a company that I was trying to fund during the Great Recession that I didn't want to be running anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was a bad twofer there. I didn't want to run it, and it was running out of money. And I had five male friends between age 42 and 52 take their own lives by suicide. And so it was a tough time. Things were hard. And then they got worse. During a speaking engagement, Chip had an allergic reaction to an antibiotic. He flatlined and almost died. Technically, he did die. Nine times in 90 minutes. Sometimes I call it divine intervention, but most most of the time I call it the hotelier's wake-up call. (laughs) (laughs) And it was, you know, at 47, uh, when I had that flatline experience, that I, I had Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, in my day pack. And... So in the hospital when I was there for three days, um, as they were trying to figure out what was wrong with me, um, I was reading Viktor Frankl's experience of being in a concentration camp. And thank God I was privileged not to be in the concentration camp, but I felt at times like a prisoner, a prisoner of a life and a world that I had created. And so Frankenstein um, was the creation that I wanted to disavow. And so for many people around that time in their 40s, whether it's circumstances outside their control, which was sort of true for me in this case, I'm not sure I would have changed without that, or it's, um, it is like physical things that happen to you, you, whatever it is, there's something that actually spurs you along and realizes this isn't working anymore. Yeah. My friend Brené Brown calls it the midlife unraveling. And when I first heard, when she first said that to me, I was like, gosh, girl, I mean, to unravel doesn't sound very good. <laughs> and she, she said, Chip, if you look in the dictionary under the word ravel, ravel means something so tightly wound, you can't get it undone. And for a lot of people in their 40s, that's what it feels like. Yeah. My life is tightly wound and and my, so are my shoulders, such that I, I, I feel trapped. And so... What I came away from is when I had my NDE, I don't suggest people have to have an NDE in order to make the major transition in their life. But for me, it was what what led to me saying, I am ready to let go of the things that aren't serving me or the things that aren't making me happy. You know, here I'd started a company called Joy of Life, Joie de Vivre, and I wasn't feeling much joy. So it was all a bit of an irony um, (laughs) to, but it, it spurred me along to say like, okay, in the next two years, I made a ton of changes. I survived my midlife crisis, which I now call a midlife chrysalis. And I realized that, uh, okay, I'm going to wipe the slate clean and in my 50s, really be a little more conscious in how I curate my life. Um, when I was asking listeners, you know, what do you want to understand better from this show? So many people said, explain to us, what is the midlife crisis? Okay. How do I know when I hit it? How do I get out of it? Good point. Um, uh, What's fueled us often in our adulthood, especially in our 20s and our 30s, is the hope and the dream, and then over time, maybe the expectation of these things we want in our lives. Mm 
whatever it is, you have these things that become initially a hope, then you know uh, an expectation, and right. it it's around our midlife that we start to realize that number one, we're not going to get some of those things. And maybe number two, they don't matter as much as we thought they did because we are reading off a success script that our parents or someone else or our community or the the society we live in gave us. And we have been a great actor or actress reading lines. And it's around that time. It's like, I don't want to read these lines anymore. And it's also a time where midlife crisis can have a physical component where your body starts to break down. You know, for some people, it's when... It's those last vestiges of trying to look like they're still in their 20s. And so they put a ton of time into Botox and being in the gym 16 hours a week. And, you know, as you get older, a six pack becomes more expensive. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What I mean by that is like, you know, at 55, to actually try to have a six pack abs is much more time consuming than it is at age 25. And it's in midlife that we start to see that as well. And, and it's also a time in life where we start to, uh, excuse my language, but, you know, we learn what to give a fuck about. Yeah. It's not that I don't care about things. It's like, I, but I don't care so much about that things. By not caring so much about that thing, I can care so much more about this thing. And um, so in some ways, it's a period of time when people start to rearrange what gives meaning for to themselves. And it's also a period of time, according to Richard Rohr, the famous Christian mystic, or Carl Jung, the psychologist, when people, the primary operating system of your life shifts from the ego to the soul, but nobody actually gives you any operating instructions for how to drive this, this thing. So it's a fascinating time that has gotten so little attention. We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, Chip is going to help us figure out what to do when we start to feel this shift in meaning. Stick around. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. And we're back. There's something most of us have had to grapple with when we get to the middle of our lives. We don't just have to accept that there are many paths we didn't take We also have to make peace with the idea that we're probably not going to take most of them. I'm extremely unlikely to go to medical school at this point in my life, for example. And then, when we do finally achieve the milestones to which we have for so long aspired, well, that experience in itself can be strangely void. Once again, here's Chip Conley. I think for so many people, there's something called the hedonic treadmill, and it's very relevant to American culture. It means you are on a treadmill to try to attain something that's out there on the horizon. And you think that once you attain it, that, you know, whether it's success or a date with someone or whatever it is, being on the Today Show, um, once you've attained it, you will, it'll make you happy. And then you either don't attain it, which makes you really unhappy, or you attain it, 
and you're still not happy. And then there's some new shiny object out there on the horizon. It's like, oh, that's the thing I need. The pursuit of happiness is in our Declaration of Independence in the U.S. And yet, in uh, some dictionaries, the word pursuit means to chase with hostility. (laughs) (laughs) So, do we have this sense that we are out there um, chasing things to make us happy and realizing once we've attained them that they didn't make us happy? And I think it's midlife that you start to see that reality. Yeah. And for some people, it's really distracting. It's really problematic. And it's why addiction uh, and depression in midlife spikes. Bottom line is, part of what's happening is people get into an escapism mentality in midlife. They want to go back to adolescence. They're in middlelessence. Middlelessence is the middle of your life. Adolescence is your teen years. And they want to go back. But, you know, that's not what's happening. And, and additionally, the two words that most are present for people in midlife and later, uh, when it comes to women, it's invisibility. And for men, it's it's irrelevance. These are really hard to digest. It's like, okay, I'm now, I don't exist. People don't see me and they don't listen to me, etc. I think that a lot of what's going on in midlife is normal. <laughs> mm-hmm. It is normal and natural. Menopause is that your parents are going to pass away. If you have children, they're going to leave and you will have an empty nest. Um, you are going to have something around midlife that says, like, some, there's some tingling inside of me that's like talking about meaning and purpose that's more important to me than it was 20 years ago. So there's a lot going on, and what we can help people to do is to realize that wisdom is not taught, but it's shared. And how do you create the crucible for people to learn from each other in midlife? And that's what I've been doing now for six years. Um, that is the the extreme importance of community, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. Social wellness. I Illness starts with the letter I. Wellness starts with the letters we. We tend to get very fixated on on our wellness as a personal endeavor, our sleep, our food, our uh, exercise. Mm -hmm. But what's been shown is that what creates a longer, happier, healthier life, more than any other variable, is the way we invest in our social relationships, our social wellness. And so, um, yeah, this is a very important ingredient to midlife as well, because going into midlife, often people have the spinning plates phenomena. They have so much on their plate that their friendships and relationships often start to atrophy. And this is exactly the time of life where we need to start investing in friendships again. As my co-founder of MEA, Jeff, says, friendship is a practice. So if you start to realize that, oh, this is a practice that I actually need to work on again. Women have more roles that they are actually inhabiting than men do, right. which is an interesting thing. Men have, it's very singular. And that's why if a man feels irrelevant in his career, it's so damning to him because right. it, like that was all he had. <laughs> right? And of course he had more, but he that's how he thinks. Mm-hmm. But for a woman, um, when, for example, you've got multiple roles, the nice thing is one of, if one of the roles isn't doing going so well, you have other ones to look back at. But the other side of it is you have too much going on. Mm-hmm. Women are juggling way more than men are. For a lot of women, they don't have the time to be able to invest in those relationships that were so meaningful to them in their earlier decades. Somebody asked me recently how I would describe personally 2023, and I responded without even thinking about it, that in 2023, I made sandwiching a verb. 
I'm sandwiching. <laughs> that is what I'm doing. If you want to know what sandwich, I'm doing. Sandwich generation. Yeah. <laughs> Taking care on both sides. And it is yeah. a privilege to do so. But yes, it is uh, It is busy. It is very, very busy. It, it is busy in midlife often because you are caring for so many other people. You lose track of yourself. Yes. And that is so what happens for so many people. And again, there, if we can actually know that this is normal, this is not unusual. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. But sometimes people feel like they're playing the game of life wrong because they're not feeling good at 48 years old with a couple toddlers or younger people <laughs> and in their life that they don't feel like they are living the life that they hoped they'd be living at 48. Right. You know, another place that I see people get stuck that actually a lot of Hello Monday listeners are are struggling with this year is I get to my 50s, maybe even my early 60s, and for whatever reason, my very senior job ends. Mm. Maybe I didn't even like it that much, but now I got to figure out how to pay the mortgage and I need another job and I don't even know what I want to do. Yeah, That feels to me like a big midlife speed bump. Yes, it does. Yeah. Um, couple thoughts there. What I would say that I learned from writing Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder, and from trying to make sense and interviewing people in their 40s and 50s and 60s who were feeling at times obsolescent, um, <clears throat> was that curiosity is the absolutely best thing you can do. So curiosity is a way of looking at the world uh, in which you're um, open to new experiences and open to learning. And as one person once said to me, when you show up with curiosity and a passionate engagement in what you're doing, people won't notice your wrinkles. They'll notice your energy. And so I would say for the people who are at that stage in their career, you might literally be mid-career at, at 50 or 55 <laughs> because you might be working to your 75 or 80. So first of all, don't feel like you have to rest on your laurels or like you have you have learned everything you're going to learn. No. You're process now is to actually explore what makes you curious, what will give you a sense of purpose. Now, often, you know, people get really caught up in purpose, like thinking, oh my God, it's going to be something, something really big. It doesn't have to be something big. It could be a small P purpose as opposed to a big P purpose. But the way to help you with your purpose is to see what agitates you, what excites you, what makes you curious, or what's something from earlier in your life that you loved, that you have not given attention to more recently. We had a litigation attorney at the Modern Elder Academy in, at our Baja campus recently, and she was so worn out after 30 years of being a litigation attorney, but she didn't know how to wind down her practice, and she didn't know what else to do. And so in a, a you know, week-long workshop, we go over all kinds of interesting stuff, and she came really clear about the fact that when she was 15 years old, the thing that brought her flow and joy was hanging out with her grandmother making pies in her grandma's kitchen. And that she's loved have entertaining people. And she makes the dinner, but what she really wants people to try is the desserts. <laughs> and so she's now leaving her practice. She's winding it down over the course of a year and going to become a pastry chef and train and then create a bakery in her neighborhood. And so for so many people, they don't take the blinders off. If you have been, well, in my case, a boutique hotelier, um, and you're no longer going to be doing that anymore, like what's available to you? If you'd told me I was going to go work in a tech company, 
and I'd be the in-house mentor of the founders and the head of global hospitality and strategy for a tech company, no less. In my mid-50s, I didn't know anything about tech. I would have said, you're crazy. But what I came to realize is something that I like to call same seed, different soil. The seed is the gift, the mastery you've developed, the wisdom you have. And the key in life is to tap into what's called environmental mastery, which is not about ecosystems or the earth. It's actually about, as we get older, we get better about understanding what um, habitats yeah. we, we will actually flourish in. And so I came to realize after going to Airbnb and, and meeting the founders and spending some time with them, same seed, I have, I have all my experience I bring with me different soil. I am going to go into a tech company, but it's fertile ground because I like the culture of the company. I like the fact the founders really want to learn from me and I want to learn from them. Um, and I see a very thirsty set of millennials with me being a boomer, deeply wanting to learn from me, which is not always the case. So um, I had the privilege that the founders came looking for me and that that worked out. So how, Chip, okay, that's all good for you, Chip. Well, what about me? No one's coming looking for me. Well, the first step then is for you to spend time getting clear on what your gift is. What is your mastery? Um, we do an exercise at MEI called uh, what, what master your gift do you have to offer? And we ask the question five times, repeating question five times. Someone asks it to you and you just come up with it. It's how I learned that I was not a boutique hotelier, not a uh, an author. I was a social alchemist. But by the time I got to the fifth answer, you can't answer the same way twice. I came to realize that's my, that's my gift. And once I learned that, I was like, oh, okay, I need to take that gift. And as it turns out, I use that gift to create MEA because we bring together people from diverse backgrounds who are in like a mixologist of people, yeah. you know, two dozen people together to learn from each other from a week for a week. And it's a potent mix. So I would just say, for those who feel a bit irrelevant and invisible in the workplace, the most important thing you can do is to get very clear on your gift. And the purpose of your life is to find your gift. The work of life is to develop it. And the meaning of life is to give it away. And if you can understand your gift so that you can actually develop it, so that you can then ultimately give it away in a generative way to people younger than you, right. you have just created... Um, the uh, healthy and abundant way of moving into your later years. I was going to say, that's the flywheel that ushers in a healthy midlife, right? Yeah. Uh, a healthy long life. A healthy long life. How do you live a life that's as deep and meaningful as it is long? Well, Chip, well, I mean, what do you do about money and capitalism? Like, not not everybody has <laughs> access to the resources that will allow them yeah. to, to tap into something new. Yeah. Well, first of all, you have friends. One of the things we tend to do is we hold it all inside. <laughs> and just being able to have conversations with friends is a good starting point. Reading books is another thing you can do. Um, at MEA, we have scholarships. Literally, we have a program where if you meet the needs assessment, you pay $500 and you come do an all-inclusive luxury experience mm -hmm. when it's the normal single price is $6,000 and the double occupancy price is $4,500. So our point of view, over half of our people who've come, over 4,000 people from 44 countries have been on some form of scholarship. And I funded that partly because 
I love being in a workshop with a collection of people that might include a retired investment banker who's 45 and has a lot of money but no purpose with a 62-year-old you know, social worker from Atlanta who has a lot of purpose but not a lot of money. Yeah. So there are opportunities out there. But the number one thing I would say that you that people can do is to look for resources like the the books on the topic mm -hmm. that is most you know relevant to you. Long story short is you have to have the sense of agency to take the steps because if you get into the the victim role here, um, especially in midlife, it's really easy to sort of start just shouting at the world and and um, and giving up. And learned helplessness is a an early stage of uh, depression. And so, mm -hmm. how do we help ourselves? And the the thing you know, we talk a lot at MEA about the three stages of a transition, which is the ending of something, the messy middle, and the beginning of something new. So I would just say that. Um, Understanding those three stages and then understand where you are in your transition. Because honestly, if you can understand where you are, you're better able to understand what are the tools you have available to you to actually go through this particular stage. Um, whether it's the ending of something, whether it's the process of like being in this liminal space in between two things, um, or it's in that third stage, which is the beginning of something new. That was Chip Conley midlife expert and the author of Learning to Love Midlife. You can visit him online to learn more about his book and about the Modern Elder Academy. I definitely feel luckier than I imagine my parents did when they hit middle age. There's so much more discussion about it in culture, so many things to read or programs that we can take to study this period of our lives. It just feels safer to have a conversation like this one in the public square. Now here are just three thoughts that I'm gonna be taking with me. One, no, it's not just you. Midlife is longer now. It starts earlier, it ends later, and we're all gonna to have to figure out how we manage this enormous chunk of our lives. The good news is that at around age 50, most of us will start to feel more and more satisfied with those lives. That is good news. Two, during our midlife, our focus will start to shift from achievement to purpose and meaning. If we maintain that always useful growth mindset, well, this could lead us to all sorts of new and unexpected opportunities. Three, same seed, different soil. As we age and we hone our gifts, we can take the thing we're most equipped to offer the world to brand new audiences. That's how Chip took his hospitality expertise from the hotel industry to tech, to Airbnb. So what's your seed and what soil are you getting curious about? Let's talk all about midlife this week at Office Hours. I'll go live on the LinkedIn news page this Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern along with our producer, Sarah Storm. If you're not sure where to find the link, drop us a line at hellomonday at linkedin.com and we'll send it to you. Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn News. Sarah Storm produces our show with help from Lolia Briggs. It's engineered and mixed by Asaf Gadron. Our theme music was composed just for us by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Enrique Montalvo is our executive producer. Dave Pond is head of news production. 
Courtney Coop is head of original programming. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. I'm Jesse Hempel. We'll be back next Monday. Thanks for listening. <laughs>